a radio show that confesses Christ without confusing the law and the gospel. A radio show that takes scripture seriously without taking ourselves so seriously. You're listening to Table Talk Radio. I don't know that I necessarily want the people to remember my sermon for uh, a week as much as I want them to uh, receive that word of God right there. If this is a, uh, a download of information, it's important that you retain that information. Yeah. But if this is being addressed by a, a burning bush, I know that a burning bush talked to me. And I said to the guy, uh, look, at when the Bible talks about vision, it's, it's talking about the death of Jesus. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. It's talking about the gospel. It's talking about confessing the creed. And his answer to me was, yeah, uh, I'm not using vision in the biblical sense, but rather in the business sense. <laughs> okay, then. All right. I, by the way, had no knowledge of that encounter when I posed the hypothetical. <laughs> Today's edition of Table Talk Radio is brought to you by the Wolfmuller Wedding DJ Services. Yeah! Rock bottom oh. low prices for your wedding event. <laughs> I've had now, since I was publicly announced that I was going to be your DJ without having even been asked, <laughs> uh, I have had now two more requests to DJ weddings. See? <laughs> and, 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 people, and, and everyone sees it the same opportunity as you do. It's like, well, at least this way he won't preach. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say you could offer a two-for-one deal that, uh, and you know, I'll do your wedding and then I'll go be the DJ. That'd be funny. <laughs> That's All right, right. Now we're gonna have the pastor come up and pray. Hey, happy to be here, everybody. <laughs> Just you, you'll have you'll have oh you'll have to have another name generator for your DJ name. Yeah. Uh, uh, so so we have Lumpy you, the you, private investigator. We have uh, Mission Vision 1962. The at Mission Vision. Oh, sorry, <laughs> sorry, didn't want to miss the. Twitter I probably handle. could just use my at Mission Vision to as my DJ name. <laughs> <laughs> That's the same sort of thing. I get one of those uh, microphones that comes down across the cheek. You know, that way I can dance. Oh, and like DJ uh, Britney at the Spears. Same time. Yeah, Britney Spears. Okay, <laughs> sweet. All right. Well, uh, speaking of Lumpy, he is making a return. Is he showed up there at Hope Lutheran Church yet? Yeah, he he's still... here, ready to go, man. He's, right. he's he'll start any time. He's got a project, right? He's he's been he does been actually doing some real work instead of just well. Sort what of. does Lumpy do around there when he doesn't have work to do? Yeah, just stinks the place up. Mostly. Yeah, yeah. Okay, um, and then we're going to be uh, translating some evangelicalisms, and then we're going to uh, look at some church signs and bumper stickers. Providing we have enough time, providing that this hour of fun will provide will allow us to get all that in, we'll do some bumper stickers and church science. But first, let's talk about buzzwords. All right, I uh, got an email here somewhere which has buzzword suggestions. Ready for this? Sweet. This email comes from Mark, who says, "Pastors, in anticipation of the busy season for Evan, what's that talking about? I don't know." And, well, Brian's show prep. Ascension, probably. <laughs> it could be that you're getting married. but Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> don't forget. Uh, I thought I'd give a suggestion for buzzwords. I've heard the buzzword or the buzz phrase systematic theology or systematics thrown around. What does that mean? A far less used buzzword with good meaning is, hmm, Godenval. Gnadenval. Do you know that one? G N A D E N W A H L. Gnadenval. Gnadenval. 
Gnadenwahl, a German term used by Walter, Walter, meaning election of grace, and it indicates that we are elected alone by God's grace. There you go. Okay. Not well, at all. I will define oh, I systematic theology then. <laughs> all right. Well, look, the, the nice thing is um, I, I can't get points for saying the buzzword of which I can't pronounce, so you got an advantage. <laughs> But, uh, I uh, here systematic theology. Okay, let's start with defining um, just in contrast. Uh, well, not contrast. That's the wrong word. But um, to help us understand it is uh, exegetical theology. So exegetical theology is to draw the meaning out of of a text, and this isn't exclusive to theology. But um, you can do exegesis on anything. But uh, in in theology, we're talking about that of the scriptures. So I read the Bible, and I say. What does this mean? Not what, how does it make me feel? Not uh, what does it mean to me? What what assertions can I fit into this text to make it say what I want it to say? No. Uh, exegetical theology is bringing the meaning out of the text. So you read a sentence, you understand the, the context, the uh, cultural understanding of everything involved, the grammar, the original languages, the meanings of the words, and then from all of that you can say, this is what the verse means. Now, the, that, that's a good thing to do. We, we need to focus our attention in theology on a good exegesis to draw out. But um, here's the thing. Um, we have to, at some point, take all these uh, passages and understandings and interpretations and tie them together, and that's the art of systematic theology. So when we ask uh, the question, what does the Bible say about baptism, we want to go and search the Scriptures and find all the places that it talks about baptism, and we might look at uh, Mark 16, we might look at uh, 1 Peter 3, we might look at Titus 3, 5, we might look at uh, uh, Matthew 28, and now we're, we're understanding the wholeness of God's Word um, on, the, on a topic such as baptism or salvation or sin by understanding all of Holy Scripture, not just from a singular passage. We don't do theology. I mean, it's, it's enough to have a singular, singular passage, but we want to understand the wholeness, the, the full counsel of God's Word on any given topic. And that's the art of systematic theology. There is some, there's something about the difference between systematic theology and dogmatic theology. Could you talk about that? No. Because I want to know about that. I used to think, I think I used to know something about it, but I've forgotten. And someone was arguing this point, that Lutherans don't do systematic theology, we do dogmatic theology. Oh. Well, hmm. You can't just bring I that up if you can't speak is. more intelligently about that. Well, that's why I'm leaning on you here. I'm <laughs> relying on you. Well, so <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure how such a person would define dogmatic theology. Um, I think that, uh, I don't know, what do you think about this definition uh, of dogmatic? Dogmatic would be something that the Church has come to an agreement on that can't be changed. Um, so we're dogmatic about the, about, about the theology of the Trinity. Um, th that, that is, in some ways, a, a matter of systematic theology in that we understand the Trinity from all kinds of passages. But to say, this is our understanding, and this is something that you have to hold to in order to be a Christian, so we're, we've made that a dogma. Now, I don't know if that's a good definition. It could be. I, th I think the thing that the—if I'm—I just—this is in the recesses back there, in the crags of the mind, but I think I was listening to the argument, and it was something like, our doctrine is not a system. In other words, we're not trying to fit it all together like a machine, but rather we're letting the Scriptures— 
determine what the conclusions are. So I so I think the idea was that um, they they were worried about the word system that it was a it was it would it was making theology into a philosophy. But now that I think about it, that argument sounds a lot more neo-Lutheran than it does Lutheran. Well, I, I so. think that, um, I mean, that's kind of why I started with exegetical theology, that these two have to go hand in hand. So if you're a systematic theologian, you have to be an exegete and vice versa. So if you only do exegesis and you don't have the ability to see, uh, to understand one passage in light of another, you're not really going to come to the true interpretation um, so that when we understand baptism, uh, we have to understand original sin, <laughs> too. Um, but if, right. if, if you're just doing systematic theology and you're— um, this, I mean, maybe it becomes kind of a proof-texting thing to say, uh, well, these are the verses, and to not actually understand the meaning of those verses, then we fall into a problem. I think that's true. Hey, I got another email for you, speaking of falling into problems. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I need you to define my buzzword, because I can't fit this in the conversation without a definition. Okay, so the, the word is gnazenval, gnadenval, obviously, gnadenval, and it means election of grace. And we say, oh, when it comes to the doctrine of election, we are not double predestinationists like our friends, the Reformed, who say that God elects some to grace and some to perdition. But rather, we say election is only one direction. You only get elected to grace, and there is no uh, reciprocity with the doctrine of election. That's, I don't know if that's what Gnadenval means, but that's what the email said it means. So I'm going with it, man. <laughs> I like that. Election is one direction. I'm going to make that a t-shirt. Election <laughs> is one direction. That's good. We can hand it out at the wedding. <laughs> I chose you. That's what uh this I wonder if um that's what the wedding sermon will be about how you chose I chose you, you did not choose me, this kind of thing. <laughs> that yeah, that's that's true of uh of uh, Mandy and I that I chose her but she would never have chosen me. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. It's all she's, grace. She's a believer in the doctrine of election. <laughs> Rachel writes, Hi, pastors. My first Table Talk Radio podcast to listen to was 338. Uh, we, could, we could add, My last Table Talk podcast was 338. <laughs> you challenge the listener to find an example of a woman being baptized in the New Testament, suggesting that there is not one. However, Lydia is such an example. Acts 1615. Thank you, Rachel. Well, Rachel, um, it's wonderful that the first... Time you tune in to Table Talk Radio, we're spouting error. This is we. where, <laughs> yeah, you have nothing to do with it. No. <laughs> uh, I have to eat crow once in a while and recant. So um, I'll I'll uh, explain the context of what I said, and uh, and then offer my full um, repentance on the other side of this break. Um, by the way, today's bumper music is selected by DJ Wolf Mueller. And the songs he is uh, picking out for the wedding uh, in August, August 8th. So um, we'll have to vote to see what we, we've got coming up. Oh, Piano Man. Yeah, oh, yeah. I could this is a good that. one to dance to at a wedding. All right, we'll be right back. Sing us a song. He says, Son, You're the piano. You play me a memory. I'm not really sure how it goes. But it's sad and it's sweet, and I knew it complete when I walked. To Table Talk Radio, serious theology, seriously bad hosts. 
This is a good one. Oh man, what a perfect wedding reception song. No woman, no woman, no cry. No woman, no cry. Oh man, you do know that this is for a wedding, right? <laughs> Here, I found the verse Psalm nineteen five. The sun is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion <laughs> rejoicing to run his course. Pastor Wolfman during the break suggested that uh, after the Saturday evening um, Saturday evening wedding, Sunday morning, I should preach on this verse. As a bridegroom coming out of his chamber. That's fair. That's you good. got the picture? All right. All right. So Rachel wrote in. Uh, so the context of our, our discussion last week, two weeks ago, I think, was that um, – uh, the, we're responding to objections to infant baptism, and sometimes people say, well, you can't point out a verse in which uh, people were baptizing infants, therefore we should not baptize infants. And I made the assertion incorrectly that the New Testament also doesn't give an example of a woman being baptized. But in fact, Rachel has proven me wrong, so I repent and recant what I said. Now, does this mean <laughs> that we should uh, we should now quit baptizing infants since we have an example of women and not uh, babies being baptized? Well, first of all, uh, the case is, is made as a strong case that infants were baptized when entire households were baptized. So that still stands true. But secondly, the point in, in what we're trying to demonstrate in all of this is that we don't understand our theology based upon the examples of the New Testament, but rather upon the mandates and commands and institutions of the New Testament. So sometimes people describe this um, this way, that there are uh, descriptive texts and prescriptive texts. That is to say that sometimes the Bible is describing what happened, and sometimes the Bible is telling us uh, how we are to uh, practice. And so um, when Jesus says, "'Go baptize all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit,' Um, and teaching them all that I've commanded you, even to the very end of the age, that is enough for us. Even if we have no examples of anyone being baptized in the book of Acts, it doesn't matter. We have the mandate from Jesus. I I think also um, we have this text. Sorry if you said this, because I was looking up Gnadenval. But this, I, I think we have the explicit command to baptize babies in Acts 2.38. Um, where so so remember Peter preaches on Pentecost and everyone says hey what do we do and Peter says we well, can't do anything but repent and be baptized you can have things done to you to straighten you out repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off everyone whom the Lord our God calls to Himself it so, does not say for your children who have reached the age of accountability it says for your children. The baptism and the promise of the Holy Spirit and repentance, it's for the children. For heaven's sakes, how, how much clearer does the text need to be? Indeed. So there, so in order for someone to make this distinction between uh, children and babies, there'd have to be such a qualifier in the text itself, in which right. there's not. There's not. Okay. Is Lumpy around? I'm Lumpy. Lumpy! I'm here. Hey, Lumpy. All right, so Good. we got some work for you to do. Yeah. Um, Pastor Wolfmuller passed me this on this email. Yes. This comes from Samuel, and it says, Is there such a thing as a radical Muslim, or are they all ordered to kill the infidel? 
Uh, with all the stuff about Islam being brought up and because of ISIS, I thought that I would give you another chance to offend people. Samuel. <laughs> so offensive. Now, see, yeah. this, this is interesting about how one define radical in a religious sense. I mean, so I think it's funny. It's like, well, those Muslims, they're the radical Muslims. And then you say, I'm a radical Christian. And those are two opposite things. <laughs> That's right. It seems like the, the radical Muslim, if, if you want a picture of the radical Muslim and the radical Christian, you can get it in the same image. And that's where the one is chopping off the head of another. So so the radical, the radical Muslim is ready to kill for the faith, and the radical Christian is there ready to die for the faith. It's the opposite of each other in every way. Right. Now, because I'm lumpy, that means I've done some work, and the work that I've done for you is this. I have read the book called Toward Understanding Islam, or Towards Understanding Islam. Now, it just so happens, dear listener, that this book was commended to Pastor Wolfmuller by uh, Adam Francisco. Remember that guy, Adam Francisco? But if it was commended to Pastor Wolfmuller, why wouldn't he read it instead of Lumpy? He only reads... He only reads things that are 10 pages or less. Ah. So he had to hand it on to me because it's 50 pages. But it so happens that this book is free online. It's written by a Muslim themselves, and it, uh, uh, and it, it is uh, Dr. Francisco commended it to the Pastor Wolfmuller uh, as the best way to get inside the, the, really the mindset of Islam. And so... Um, and it's so it's very helpful. It's a free book. It's uh, it's not a it's in there. It's a, from the horse's mouth, and it's not. Um, it doesn't hold back anything. It doesn't pull any punches. It just tells you how the modern Muslim, who is a, a, a true Muslim, how they understand themselves, etc. Uh, so I'm going to read uh, now. This is from the editor's introduction. And, uh, and this, I think, is helpful for us to start understanding Islam. Ready? Islam is a worldview and an outlook on life. Now, I think this is really important. Uh, it's based on the, on the recognition of the unity of the Creator and our submission to His will. Everything originates from the one God and everything ultimately, uh, is ultimately responsible to Him, uh, etc. Now, now this is, what this is going to argue is that Islam is not in fact, a religion, but something more. It's more like a philosophy of life. Here, I'll, I'll, I'll reading down a little bit further. Um, this is the Islamic worldview and its concept of men and women and their destiny. Islam is not a religion in the Western understanding of the word. It is at once a faith and a way of life, a religion and a social order, a doctrine and and a code of conduct, a set of values and principles and a social movement to realize them in history. Do you, do you get that? Mm -hmm. So that you cannot, uh, so that when we treat Islam as a, uh, uh, as a religion, we are not treating it as it understands itself. Uh, Islam understands itself not as a religion, but more as a way of life. And we can see that, for example, when you look at, uh, uh, when you ask somebody, what, what is Islam? What are the basic beliefs of Islam? And you know what they normally say, the basic beliefs? Cement. Well, yeah, but that's, see, that's not a belief. <laughs> this is, it's, okay. not a, it's an action. 
I mean, Islam does mean su submission. Here, I'll read a little bit further. Since I read this thing and underlined some things, I might as well read them, right? Sure. Plus, a guy reading a book on the makes good radio. Oh, love it. Islam is an Arabic word which connotates submission, surrender, and obedience. As a religion, Islam stands for complete submission and obedience to Allah. Now, now I think this is great. The editor um, adds a point here. Are you ready? Another literal meaning of the word Islam is peace, and this signifies that one can achieve real peace of body and mind only through submission and obedience to Allah, such as a life of obedience brings with it peace of the heart and establishes real peace in society at large. Oh, I love it. Now, that, that's when people say, hey, Islam means peace. Well, I, no, it means submission. <laughs> So it, I, I'll have peace if I kill all the infidels. <laughs> that's right. I mean, I, I, I'm very, very peaceful if I'm being sat on by an elephant. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's well, not much to do. Well, I was thinking from the perspective of the Muslim, if this whole world uh, was cleansed of infidels, it'd just be a bunch of Muslims and then we'd have true peace. But in order to get there, we've got to start killing infidels. Well, that's just it. See, I mean, so you have... Um, uh, you have those who do not submit to Allah, and they bring about uh, chaos, destruction, darkness, etc. And so uh, they they have to be fought against uh, to bring it about this social order, and that's the that is the jihad. Now, <clears throat> I think this is um, I think this is an interesting thing where we can actually agree with Islam. Here it's arguing that everything in the universe follows God's will. So dust is Muslim, dust is Islam because it follows the laws of gravity and wind. The universe is Islam because it follows the laws of of, of uh, light and things like this. So if you follow the law of God, you're Islam. Now it's going to talk about man, and it says man, like all other creatures, is born Muslim. So that every so that the Muslim understands that every person who is born is born a Muslim, and you have to be brought away from that natural law of God to uh, to be something else. Now, I think in this way that we can agree, because we but the way that we say it in Christianity is that man is born uh, in original sin, uh, bound to sin and death, which is, I mean, basically what Islam is. I mean, it's it's submission. It's it's complete legalism. Oh, oh yeah. But I never I never answers this question. You ask people what is what is Islam, and they and they talk about the five pillars. So you have the Ramadan fast. You got the Hajj, the pilgrimage. You have the you have the uh, five daily prayers. You have the statement of faith. You have giving of alms. And but you if you just step back a little bit, you know, if you go to your uh, if you go to college and they teach a a religion class, that's what they teach, these five pillars of Islam. But you just ask yourself, are those, in fact, uh, things to believe? And what we realize that is that it is not, that, that Islam doesn't offer anything to believe, it only offers things to do. Hmm. It is then pure law, without any theology, and especially without any gospel. Okay, so I want to come back to this question after the break from Samuel... Are those who are ordered to kill infidels radicals or not? We'll be right back. And I think it's gonna be a long, long time Touchdown brings me round again to find I'm not the man they think I am at home Show ever. Table Talk Radio.
songs to lull us to sleep, right? We're not looking for lullabies. The dark president. All slow dances at the wedding, folks. Hope you have a good time. <laughs> what a wonderful <laughs> I want. I was thinking about, uh, you know, I kind of want to have a theme for the music to pull it all together. Uh-huh. And I was thinking about um, remixed 50s songs. So Sounds like a hit. Yeah. Now, I'm uh, back to Lumpy. By the way, who's going to read this from uh, Toward Understanding Islam on Jihad, the defense of Islam. Jihad is part of this overall defense of Islam. Jihad means to struggle to the utmost of one's capacity. A man who exerts himself physically or mentally or spends his wealth in the way of Allah is indeed engaged in jihad. But in the language of the Sharia, this word is used particularly for a war that is waged solely in the name of Allah against those who practice oppression as enemies of Islam. Okay. Now, back to the question which was asked, which was what? Uh, those who kill the infidels, are they radicals or not? Listen to this. The, continuing. This supreme sacrifice of life devol- uh, devolves on all Muslims. If, however, a section of Muslims offer themselves for the jihad, the community as a whole is absolved of its responsibility. Hmm. Did you get that? Hmm. But if none comes forward, everybody is guilty. This concession vanishes for the citizens of an Islamic state when it is attacked by a non-Muslim power. In that case, everybody must come forward for the jihad. If the country attacked has not enough strength to fight back, then it is a religious duty of the neighboring Muslim countries to help her. Even if they fail, then the Muslims of the whole world must fight the common enemy. In all such cases, jihad is as much a primary duty of the Muslims concerned as are the daily prayers or fasting. One who shirks it is a sinner. His very claim to being a Muslim is doubtful. He is a hypocrite whose... uh, Ibada and prayers are a sham, a worthless, hollow show of devotion. Ah. Now, this is what's interesting, then, is to say if a community is attacked, some have to go and fight. If they And if some go to jihad, then the rest can just stay and not do the jihad. And that is to say there is a distinction between those committed to jihad and those who are not. In other words, the radical and the not radical, the jihadist and the not jihadists. It's, it's permittable as long as... Um, um, there are some who offer themselves for the struggle. Now, I that that's interesting because you have then in Islam an, an idea of like a scapegoat, so to speak. I mean, look, uh, here we are. Hey, someone, we got to we got to have a jihadist, and you're kind of you know you're doing that kind of ducking thing when like when the <laughs> teacher asks a question you don't know the answer to, and so you're kind yeah. of breaking breaking any eye connection, you know. Uh, you're hoping someone else is going to go, right? So you <laughs> you want this person to die on your behalf, right? <laughs> That's right. So the, so the difference is Islam does allow for the distinction between radical and unradical. But if the attack is big enough, 
then every Muslim in the world is obliged to come to the defense of Islam, which I think it will be the rhetoric of all of these radical groups, uh, the, the Hezbollah, ISIS, and, um, and all the others uh, that you hear about on the news, that, hey, the attack on Islam is so fierce, the United States or whatever, that it now becomes the duty of every Muslim. Which is probably why the Mi- Middle Eastern um, Islamists are always criticizing the westernized Muslims. Right. So so that, like, oh, look, you guys, you aren't doing—I mean, you're the ones living in the United States, the great enemy, and you're not doing Great white part. Satan. Yeah, right. That's hmm. right. Interesting. All right, and that's why the radical—and this—you know how the radicalization they talk about, this is what the libs talk about, is happening especially through Facebook. So good thing you're not on there. Yeah, that's Right. I mean, social media is where. So there's all these people that are they're reaching out through social media to reach those Muslims that are Westernized, the secular Muslims or whatever, and to to preach this radical doctrine to them, so they become radicalized and in in place, so that then they can go and uh, fulfill the obligation of jihad wherever they are. Which is why we're getting these kind of little attacks, seemingly random, just kind of with people who are you know born and bred Americans, etc. Mm-hmm. So, so. Uh, the Boston Marathon bomber got poked on Facebook, which made him go <laughs> plant a bomb or something. See, Facebook is the root of all evil. I'm trying. I've been, I've been preaching this message from the very beginning, and no one's been listening. I'm like a, a in the wilderness of Facebook social media, but no one's listening to me. Repent. I'm not going to like that. I'm not going to click like on that. (laughs) Repent. All right, let's do some evangelicalisms. How this works is we look at some phrases that uh, those in so-called American evangelicalism uh, oftentimes say, maybe without realizing what it means, or maybe sometimes it's just that we don't know what it means. We're trying to figure it out. American evangelicalism, by the way, includes pretty much of all of the uh, Protestant denomi- denominations, and particularly the non-denominational denominations of <laughs> America, uh, which has been really um, unified in the belief that we need to have deeds, not creeds. That is to say, what you believe isn't really important, but what you do is most important. Yes, that's right, pietism. Now, we got an email from Abigail who says, Hello, pastors, a friend of mine posted this on Facebook. Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> it's jihad! Run away! <laughs> And I thought these might be some good evangelicalisms to translate and fodder for tr- critique. See the link below. Thanks for giving me something fun to listen to in my weekly drives from Irvine to San Diego. Keep up the mediocrity. Blessings, Abigail. That's a bit of drive, and I bet you spend a lot of time, uh, a lot of time hanging out in just gridlock traffic too. Here are the six sayings, six popular sayings that are not true. Says this author on this website. Number one. Your specificity. Oh, man. Okay. <laughs> this writer, he's using words. This person who says things. <laughs> this thing that's thinging these things. Oh, lump, uh, Mission Vision almost came on there for a second. <laughs> the, thing, the first thing that is thinged here is this. <laughs> Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship. Ah. Hey, I've heard that before. Okay, so this... This has as its attempt, and and you've actually spent more time talking about this than me, so you'd probably be more more equipped. I have a relationship with this cliche. (laughs) I I think what what (laughs) most people are trying to get at in this is that uh, our belief in God and our belief particularly in Jesus is not about uh, law. 
And I, and I think that people have falsely, by the way, associated religion with the keeping of the law. So um, one of my favorite questions to ask people is, uh, to ask Christians is, what was Jesus's beef with the Pharisees? And the most common response I get is that they were religious. <laughs> but we, we have to consider this. Was Jesus religious? Did he ever go to the synagogue? Did Jesus ever go to the temple? Did Jesus ever pray? I mean, these these are religious activities. Jesus ever uh, preach or um, or read the Torah? I mean, the answer is yes. Jesus was very religious. So what what problem that Jesus had with the Pharisees was not that they were religious, but that they uh, thought that the things they did uh, made them righteous before God. It was a works righteousness problem. So what people have done then is to associate religion with works righteousness. And insofar as they're trying to attack uh, that problem, it's um, it's true. Our, uh, the, Jesus does not deliver us works righteousness. But Pastor Wolfmiller, tell us why connecting it then to relationship is also problematic. Right, because this is, I mean, so so here's the move. If you want to be a successful evangelical sort of something, then what you just, this is the strategy, is you pit one law against another. <laughs> and saying it's it's not a religion, it's a relationship, is saying it's not this law, it's this law. Uh, so you're making a false distinction, a, a, a distinction without a difference, because uh, relationship is also the uh, is also the language of the law, and it just so happens that not only does the Bible never use the language personal relationship, whether you hear this all the time, you got to have a personal relationship with Jesus. It never, the Bible never talks like that ever. The Bible never uses the word personal or the word relationship at all ever. I mean, maybe there's one verse that does it in the EIV, but it's not there in the Greek. It's they're putting, they're importing a word in there. It's a not biblical word. Now, the idea of relationship um, is that it puts two things in some sort of uh, connection to to one another, and and to say that we want a relationship with Jesus is it probably has it's probably problematic in three different ways. First. It assumes that the unbeliever does not have a relationship with Jesus, and that is false. They have a relationship with him. It's just a bad one. He is their judge. Two, it takes the language of the law and tries to soften it into the discussion of kind of friendship and conversation. So the problem is not that I'm a sinner that needs atonement for my sins. The problem is that I'm far from God, and I need to uh, have a closer connection to him. And three and this is the, probably the worst, it's simply a transfer, uh, kind of to riff on two, it's a transfer from moralism to mysticism. To say Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship, is to say Christianity is not moralistic, it's mysticistic, which is a made-up word, and it's also wrong. Okay, I want you to explain that last one in more detail, but after this break. And then we'll be back and uh, answer a few, or translate, sorry, a few more evangelicalisms. And then we'll see if we have time for church signs and bumper stickers. You're on Table Talk Radio. This would be a great song. All right, everybody, get out on the dance floor. <laughs> time to do a little cha-cha-cha. <laughs> everybody get in the train. <laughs> This will be for the money dance. <laughs> you know the money dance? Yeah, where I get lots of money. Yeah, yeah. well, mostly where Mandy gets a lot of money. Table Talk Radio. Disappointing listeners since 2008.
That's got a nice groove to it. Yeah, if you would like to give Pastor Wilhelmer suggestions for songs, you can email him, <laughs> PRBW at tabletalkradio.org. Just remember, I'm thinking 50s please, remixes. Please, please email Pastor Wolfmiller at PRBW at tabletalkradio.org. All right, before the break, Pastor Wolfmiller, we were talking about um, this evangelicalism. It's not a religion, it's a relationship. And uh, you talked about this kind of idea of a relationship, not to mention it's not, in fact, the fact that it's not mentioned in the Bible, uh, but also the fact that our relationship with God by birth is one of wrath, um, and also that the relationship oftentimes focuses on the emotion and, and the law, what we do to maintain the relationship with God, rather than what God has done to, for us to establish us in a relationship with Him, that is, through the gospel, through holy baptism. But then you made this assertion, and I want you to explain what you mean. It goes from moralism to mysticism. What do you mean by that? Yeah, so the thing, so moralism, the idea of religion, which by the way is a false idea of religion. This is not what religion means. But when people say it's not a religion, it's a relationship. What they mean by religion is all the rules. It's not about all the rules. But what they were replacing it with is not the forgiveness of sins or a lack of rules, but rather a new set of rules. So the rules are less like the uh, lists of do's and don'ts that are on the po- side of the pool, you know, no glass, no alcohol, no kids <laughs> under 10. No running. That's how they think, that's, that's, re- that's religion. <laughs> but relationship is more like the rules that govern how it is with you and your wife. You know, you have conversation, you care about each other, you, you protect each other, you, you uh, go on dates, etc. You see what I mean? So it's these uh, kind of unwritten rules of... Uh, of how it is, how two people are to get along with each other, and this is transferred over to me and Jesus. So now, if I have a relationship with Jesus, that means that he, I don't get rules from someone who hates me. I get rules from someone who loves me. <laughs> so they're just nicer. <laughs> yeah, they're nicer. Okay. Uh, but this is not again. This is not. This is not Christianity. Christianity is Jesus dying on the cross. And now they say, oh, so he died on the cross so we can have a relationship with him. No, 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 that's not the way the Bible talks. So so get your doctrine from the Bible, please, where it says he died to forgive your sins. That's what Jesus is doing there. And now, it is true that Jesus calls us his friends. Uh, is also true. his bride, by the way. There's a relationship. Yeah. But this is the point, is that husband—if you—look, if I'm sitting here with a husband and wife and I say, hey, how's your relationship? You know what the answer's going to be? Uh, well, it could be better. Oh, fairly good. But you, you, that question is asking for uh, that question is asking for a subjective sort of evaluation of how things are. Now, this is the question to ask the husband and wife: How is your oneness? <laughs> how is your unity? How is your being one flesh? And the answer to that is: Well, well it, it it is. I mean, God we are it together. So yeah, we, we, we that's what God has done. So that, that when Jesus calls Himself the Bride and the Church the Bridegroom, He's not saying that we have a relationship. Lord forbid. He's saying that we are one with Him, that we are in Christ. How how is your unity with Christ? Now that is not a question that is asking for some sort of judgment. You see, it is a thing that is pointing back to the reality of what God has done, which is for our comfort. Wow. So the question, how's your relationship, or, or how is this? How is your walk with Christ, or whatever? 
That, that is always a question that is inviting judgment on the thing that the Lord doesn't want judged. Ah, fantastic. Okay, let's go to another one before we run out of time. Do you have another evangelicalism there? Let's see. I got a six of them that this guy says is this. By, by the way, this article said that that is not true, which I appreciate. But then he's got he's going to say that this is not true. The Bible is the word of God. Oh, wow. Now here, let me read what the article says. Neither the Bible nor the Nicene Creed nor the Apostles' Creed says this. Second Timothy 3.16 says all scripture is inspired by God, but inspired does not mean God's word. John 1 says the beginning was the Word of God, so the Word was with God, the Word was God. So if the Bible is the Word of God, but uh, but the Word of God is God, then the Bible is God. Oy, oy, oy. Of course, John is talking about Jesus, who Christians have long believed to be both God's Word and God himself. Jesus is the Word of God. Jesus is God. Scripture is neither. <laughs> what a train wreck of logic and systematic theology. <laughs> oh, caught it. Buzzword, give, man. Give you, you 100 points for that. Sweet. What am I going to do with all these points? Uh, let's I'm going to use these points to buy songs for the radio. <laughs> oh, dang. I shouldn't have said it just then. I should have waited. Yeah. You Sorry. It'll come back. I'm still waiting for another evangelicalism here. You want to do that one? The Bible's the Word of God. That's what I want to oh, do. Oh, I thought, that was, I thought you were ex- that was the explanation of the first one. No. The Bible this is, is the, the second word of God. one. The Bible is the word of God, and this guy says that that is not true. Uh, oh, okay, man, uh, it is, is true. In fact, um, so <laughs> who is this guy? This guy, by the way, I think is an evangelical, showing you, dear friends, that the evangelicals used to be fundamentalists, then they became evangelicals, and then they became emergent, and now they are quickly, quickly sliding into the mire of liberalism. There's nothing to hold them back. Mm. So especially as the evangelical church gets more and more interested in social justice, uh, they, I think they're going to be tripping over themselves to become the liberals. They're just the new liberals or the neo-neoliberals. <laughs> okay, well, so he, uh, he, he's making a distinction between something being uh, inspired and something being the Word of God. Is that, did I understand that correctly? Uh, yeah, that's right. That's exactly what it means that it's God breathed. That, That's right. That, that this is the, uh, the look when when God sent His prophets to speak on His behalf, they're not speaking their own word. In fact, uh, I mean, you have this uh, where where, where uh, God speaks through Jeremiah and says, um, you know, "I despise the the those who say." Uh, the Lord declares, and yet then they they wag their own tongues. They just make up their own stuff. So that the prophet isn't given to say whatever he wants to say. He's given to say what God has said. Now, insofar as that the things that the prophet has said on behalf of God have been written down, then that's the word of God. I don't I don't see how you can right <laughs> take when, when the text that. says the Lord said, and you're like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Well, that's not the word of God. Yeah. Now, look at here's the next step in that. Here's point three that this guy writes. If everything in the Bible is not literally true, the whole thing falls apart. Now, listen to what he says about this. This is the sort of thing that inspires people to land at one of two poles, anti-intellectualism or anti-faith. But all Christians really need to believe is that all Scripture is inspired by God and useful. But what does it mean to say that the Bible is inspired? I think it's like a film based on a true story. How do we pick out the pieces that are and are not accurate depiction of God? Adam Hamilton, some dude, has the image of two great commandments, love God and love your neighbor, as a colander for sifting the whole Bible. If we keep the scriptures that agree with those commandments and we wrestle with what does not, 
This is amazing. I mean, this is how it starts, dear friends, dear evangelical yeah. friends. This is yeah, just. Th- I mean, you mentioned liberalism. This is the this is the thing. So the, the, this is how liberals work. They say, uh, "Look, some of these things are hard to understand. Like a worldwide flood. Come on, come on. <laughs> God couldn't really do that." Right. So they'll say it's a lot of water. Well, that, that's a lot of water. <laughs> so they say, "Well, look, and I haven't God, seen water around here in like three days." And you say, "Worldwide the, the, flood." <laughs> You're so anti-scientific, <laughs> right? So they say, "Well, look, uh, that that story is teaching us a spiritual truth." Yeah. So that we should, uh, if we don't listen to God, He'll be keep a angry. boat handy. Yeah, <laughs> but but. Did, did the event actually happen? No, but it's true insofar as the moral of the lesson is like true. a parable. Yeah, like uh, Aesop's fables, only like a, yeah. uh, teaching us uh, moral truth. Um, so, so, but here, look what he did. He said, "What's what's our standard for deciding what's true in the Bible and what's not? Those things that agree with the with the law." You're right. Right. Now, love now, God and love your neighbor. This is gonna. This is gonna completely remove. The gospel, which is what liberalism does. Yes, yes. I mean, it's like it's not gospel reductionism. This is law reductionism. <laughs> yeah. But either way, it's bad. So now you you keep the scripture that agrees with the commandments, and you wrestle with what doesn't, which means you reject what doesn't. So you got <laughs> you got a Bible you got a Bible passage that doesn't match up with love God and love your neighbor. Like I don't know, it's probably going to be hey, uh, two men should not lie down with each other as with a woman. How hateful. And anti-loving. So wrestle with that. So you got to, yeah, re- that's right, wrestle with it. Wrestle. <laughs> All right, we have oh, time man. for maybe one more real quick. This is really something. Okay. If you died tonight, would you go to heaven? Is that an is that an evangelicalism? It used to be. That's the old Kennedy method of right. evangelism. Um, I guess this this goes to ask the question of, of certainty. And um, yeah, this is, I mean, you had a little point before about all questions um, are law unless it gives the answer. Right. And so this is always going to bring into the question of the law and looking at myself. But rather what we want to do is to give the promise that Christ died for me. Uh, And in dying for me and giving me the gift of faith, then I know that I have salvation for life everlasting. About 30 seconds, Pastor. Well, that's right. That's right. Now, this question, this uh, kind of um, the trouble with this as an evangelicalism, is that it's putting all the emphasis back on your decision. So you got to. De- so you look for certainty not in the death and resurrection of Jesus, but in your accepting of Christ. So we want to have the certainty that when we die, we go to stand before the Lord, and on the last day we will be raised. We want that certainty, but that certainty comes not from our own actions and our own self. But that certainty comes from Jesus and his promises, uh, from, the, from the Word of God, yeah, I'm this sorry Bible. We, I'm sorry we didn't have time for church signs or bumper stickers, but you can send them to questions at tabletalkradio.org. Thanks for listening to this edition of Table Talk Radio. Where the points are like my booming DJ business. <laughs> That's about right. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this edition of Table Talk Radio. Poppin'. Table Talk Radio is not for everyone. Please consult your pastor before listening to Table Talk Radio. Side effects may include nausea, vomiting, headache, heartburn, hair loss, hallucinations, and aversion to incomplete sentences with aquatic imagery, psychosis, coma, death, halitosis, lung cancer, brain tumors, sleep pain, internal bleeding, internal combustion, a sudden craving to smell your backseat, claustrophobia, an uncontrollable urge to fight the Calvinists on Twitter, and falling off your treadmill. For more information, visit tabletalkradio.org.